0: Fred's Front Porch Podcast is made possible by Marie Janicki, Hermione Granger, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Edith Keeler, the people on the porch, and listeners like you. Welcome, fellow traveler on this rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred, and this is My Front Porch. Come on up and sit a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Interview with a Time Traveller Welcome to Fred's Front Porch Podcast. This evening, we're reverting to the traditional podcast format, and I'm bringing you an interview. Regular listeners will know this is rare. I've interviewed less than a dozen people in more than 150 episodes, And those I did interview were almost all friends of mine. I've interviewed only one person who is a complete stranger to me. Yes, even Sarah Nimitz was a friend, although we've never actually hung out. I doubt we ever will. She is, after all, not only a person, which is frightening for me in the most banal circumstances, she is also an artistic genius, whose work is infinitely superior to mine. I would be truly terrified, I'm sure. Nevertheless, we've known each other for more than six years, and we've been kind to each other in that time. Tonight, I'm doing an interview with someone I've never met. This was completely unplanned. I've done no show prep. My friend Lester, from an independent radio station out of Louisiana, tells me this is important. So, meet Rasmussen, who is joining us from the studio at WJAZ at the foot of Mount Belzoni. I'll leave it to him to tell us about himself. Good evening, Rasmussen.
1: Hi, Fred. I'd say nice to meet you, but we've already met more than a dozen times.
0: How did I miss that? i know i forget things frequently but i think i would remember meeting someone that often i negotiated the deal for the dao
1: to buy your show from you in uh 2031 you really didn't want to sell but i set you up with enough crypto to get yourself a nice little place to live in the woods you got a nice front porch Plenty of room for speedy shine, although he really didn't run much anymore, and enough distance between yourself and your nearest neighbors to play your music as loud as you want. You scare the hell out of the deer sometimes, though, when you play the 1812 Overture.
0: Yeah. See, Lester, out at WJAZ in Louisiana, is a Facebook friend of mine. so. I agreed to do this interview when he said it would be different from every other interview done on podcasts. I figured if we did it from the station, you would at least have a good mic and then my show would sound better. I just got a new mic, mic stand, and preamp from some good friends, so I was looking forward to doing a show like every other podcast to see if I could increase my numbers a little. None of the normal Fred's Front Porch scoring and horacing, just normal. An effort to be like everyone else so I could fit in a little better. But Lester didn't mention you're neurotic. I don't think I'll be able to use this. I'm sorry, we don't do pseudoscience on the front porch.
1: Yeah, Lester said you wouldn't believe me. I didn't expect you to be that credulous, but I'm a negotiator, so we'll make this deal. If I'm from the future, I know what your numbers are for every episode of, uh, that you've ever released, right? Fred,
0: right? Okay, sure, I'll play, but that doesn't prove anything. Hacking my anchor or my Patreon is child's play, even for people here in 2022. That information is hardly evidence of anything.
1: Course it is. Anyone can get your past numbers. I'm offering you your future numbers. I'll tell you how many plays you're going to get on your next episode. I don't think you've actually released little boxes yet, right?
0: That goes out Sunday.
1: May 22, 2022, right?
0: That's the plan. Yes. And
1: the date today,
0: the date is May 21, 2022. It's 1.02 a.m. in Arizona right now.
1: Okay. I know this one because it's one of those weird synchronicities that you always like. You released it on May 22, 2022. And when you got up the next morning to check your numbers like the obsessive little narcissist you are, you found out you got 22 plays. You were depressed by the low numbers, but you liked the way they lined up. So, this is the deal if you get up monday morning to find out you got 22 plays you air this episode if you don't you trash it
0: all right we're here i already hooked up this stupid zoom so i might as well finish the interview but tell lester he owes me big time for wasting my time so you're a time traveler is that the idea here that's it yes I'm visiting from 2052. Okay, great. First things first, how about some winning lottery numbers? Stock advice for my wealthier listeners? Pick the winners of the World Series? My listeners would be grateful for that, I feel sure. Yeah,
1: can't do that. It's expressly forbidden by the FTTC. That's the Federal Time Travel Commission. The regulations are clear and strictly enforced. I'll lose my vehicle and I'll wind up stuck here which would not be a good situation at all. I have to be careful of the butterfly effect. That's why I chose you. If I go on Joe Rogan I'll screw up the timeline irrevocably. This piece won't be heard by more than maybe a hundred people if you're really lucky until after the podcast consortium acquires the show and markets it properly. And by then this'll all be old news. What I can give you is a general feeling of the world as I know it. I'm not allowed to divulge any specific names or dates.
0: A cowardly Nostradamus?
1: Nope, no riddles. I'll give you the facts I can, but we sort of have to move this along. I have a strict 30-minute time limit. The vehicle departs then with or without me in it, so... I thought I would share some information that might give your listeners a little hope and maybe even a sense of awe. For example, we cured cancer five years ago. There were these tiny 3D printed robots that target and eat cancer cells. That was pretty cool.
0: How's the environment? Is there anything left? With climate change and the way we're destroying our planet, I would be surprised that there are a lot of us left on Earth.
1: Earth's population day is, what, like 8 billion?
0: 7.9, but close enough for jazz.
1: Yeah, thought so. Okay, <clears throat> it's smaller in 2052. How much smaller? We're at just over 3 billion now. My God. What happened? It was climate more than anything else. It was about water. There were droughts that made a lot of places unlivable. Summer temperatures in India and Pakistan commonly got over 130 degrees. There were over a billion people living there, and they had to find somewhere else to go. This caused wars that killed hundreds of millions of people. Other places were underwater by 2035. Bangladesh and Florida were among the population centers where people drowned, and houses simply floated away or tumbled to the bottom of the ocean. Miami became the first place to stage its own revolution. Secession became increasingly common in the next decade. America began to fall apart. The United part of the United States was a quaint reminder of bygone times. The forests in California were entirely gone by 2040. The Colorado River stopped supplying water to people in Arizona. Lake Mead and Lake Powell became deadpools in... I think it was 2028. I could be wrong on that date. Nevertheless, you ran out of water to drink, and that rendered that diet Pepsi on which you live almost entirely extinct. There were more than 40 million people without water. That set off civic unrest at levels that you couldn't even imagine. There were wars over water everywhere, but especially in Asia, where the Himalayan glaciers that fed all of the great Asian rivers, the Indus, the Ganges, the Brahmaputra, the Mekong, the Yangtze, and the Yellow.
0: We're almost gone. Please tell me you're making all this up. This is unbelievably grim. This can't be the world in which I live. This can't be the future.
1: Sorry, I have to tell the truth or I have to be silent. FTTC regulations.
0: So, you're from a dystopian future? Life on Earth has collapsed?
1: Nothing of the kind. Life is remarkably pleasant in 2052. It just took a social upheaval more violent and intense than any other in the history of the planet to make it happen. I think it was the loss of the giant sequoias in California that finally set it off. People finally began to believe climate change was dangerous scientists said it was irreversible and we were now simply doomed to extinction a lot of people compared us to dinosaurs we didn't need an asteroid or a meteor though to kill us we did it to ourselves and lots of people knew we were doing it they didn't care They had the money to keep themselves out of the uninhabitable areas and away from the nuclear fallout that was a natural consequence of the wars they knew had to come. It was an ugly couple of decades. That's what forced the change. We needed to find ways to remove carbon from the air. Sure, there were electric cars, but that didn't scratch the surface of the problem. Energy became impossibly expensive, so folks started setting up decentralized power grids of their own. These were illegal, but so was robbing a convenience store. People did what they had to to survive. We always do. In five years, they changed the law because it became unenforceable. Police met incredibly fierce resistance when they tried to shut down the neighborhood power grids. Your Black Lives Matter riots were a cakewalk compared to the We're Not Dinosaurs insurrection. When the world had fallen apart, the survivors decided they needed to cooperate to put it back together. We figured out how to remove CO2 from the air and store it inside of concrete. There was a company in Iceland doing that even in your time, but it was way too small. They scaled up significantly in 2034. We learned how to use solar panels in farming so the plants got the maximum sunlight they needed for photosynthesis, and the rest was stored for the farm zone energy uses. This saved water too. We found some technological Well, I can say this word, hang on. We found some technological, there it is, technological solutions, but The important ones were social. The presidential election in 2032 resulted in more than 300,000 Americans being killed while you all screamed at each other that the other side was lying. Human beings were ready to destroy themselves over ideology. That's the way they teach it in fifth grade history today. And then we reached the technological singularity. Technological growth got away from us. AI was writing its own code. It was recreating itself. It was your HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey on serious steroids. With the advent of 3D printers, the AI could produce whatever physical objects it needed to accomplish its goals. Everything was automated. They even experimented with ATM drones so you could deposit and withdraw cash without having to go anywhere. There was a famous viral TikTok video with a guy trying to shoot down one of the drones. The thing swiveled around and fired some kind of laser at him and fried the poor bastard. You see his wife running up to him asking, uh, running up to him asking, "Well, Vern, did you at least get the money?" Those drones didn't last too long. Neither did cash for that matter. It was horrifying and inspiring at the same time. Billions of humans died, and billions more were lifted from poverty. War became impossible. The AI destroyed what it decided needed to be destroyed, and it refused any human interaction. We couldn't launch missiles anymore. We couldn't fly missions. We couldn't even deploy tanks. Cars were entirely at the will of the artificial intelligence. While we had destroyed the atmosphere of much of Earth, Europa and Titan became new places for humans to live. We've had colonies there since 2039. On April 5th, 2043, Angela Michaels was born born on Europa, the entire world stopped to consider it. She was the first sentient being of whom we had ever been aware that was not born on Earth. She was much more than those that came from another country when you were busy fighting each other, an alien. She was an extraterrestrial.
0: Supporting independent artists means you are helping to spread creativity throughout the world. There are good things to be found in popular culture that is supported by corporate media. I'm a huge fan of Star Trek and Star Wars, and those are massive corporate franchises. But there is other art out there that remains in obscurity because the artist can't afford to advertise it everywhere you look. I can't get through five minutes of scrolling on my Facebook without seeing ads for Star Trek and Star Wars. Ask yourself, when the last time was you saw an ad for this show? In more than 150 episodes, I've been able to afford small ads three times. Without support from people like you, I will never be able to spread the message that there is no them, we are all us. Or, that we should lead with love. Or, that the stars shine most brightly in the darkest skies. To any more than just a few people, I will never make a living from my art. Your support means more to me than it does to Alex Kurtzman or John Favreau. They'll never know your name. I'll... Thank you every week. Please join the people on the porch in trying to make the world just a little kinder. Please show the world that independent artists matter too.
1: Then currency was gone. It wouldn't make sense on Europa and Titan, and we had been moving toward various types of cryptocurrency for decades. The AI put Wi-Fi everywhere. Even the homeless had devices and could access the internet and farm crypto to survive. After the AI automated, automated practically everything, it gave everyone a universal basic income that was sufficient to meet their survival needs. It didn't wait for legislation. It just invented the banks, the accounts, and the cards to distribute to everyone. Corporations don't exist anymore. They've been replaced by DAOs, DAOs, or Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. They're somewhere between a social club, a venture fund, and a traditional corporation, in true blockchain fashion, DAOs replaced centralized authority with collective decision-making. The result was a new kind of business model where power and value were spread throughout the entire organization. It meant the end of centralized power and the beginning of cooperation. It was what your hero, Captain Picard, talked about. The acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. We have constructed several cities underwater now, but they're new and we're still a little unsure about them. The AI is confident they can withstand the weather, partly because of how well constructed they are. And partly because the weather's severity has been drastically reduced by getting a lot of the carbon out of the air. We have plenty of water now. Diet Pepsi still exists, but diabetes is almost entirely gone. The average life expectancy today is 107. Making it to 120 is not uncommon. 130 is not unheard of. Fred? Hey, Fred? You still with me?
0: I'm just... I'm in shock. I don't know what to say. I'm lost. I'm confused. I'm horrified. I'm ecstatic. I'm doubting your credibility, and I'm questioning my own sanity for listening. And yet... I believe, I believe every word you've said. Maybe this is why I don't do interviews.
1: Maybe it is. Maybe you're pretty much a lousy interviewer. You should probably just keep doing your solo shows, but I'm almost out of time and that's a very big deal for someone like me, as I'm sure you can imagine, so is there anything
0: else you'd like to know before I go? I guess I'd like to know if I'm still alive in 2052. Nah, you really don't want to know.
1: Think about it. Let's say I tell you that you are. Then you know you've got at least 30 more years to live and you're going to be much less careful. You end up getting yourself killed earlier and potentially screw up a tiny little bit of the timeline. You also lose your sense of urgency. I played your last dozen or so podcasts prior to today's date and time to prep for this interview. And you've been making a significant effort to make sure you put out an episode every week because you're afraid you'll die before you've said all you need to say. Your show would suffer. Let's say I tell you you're dead by 2052. You lose hope of seeing the world I just described. You get a feeling of Pointlessness, despair, and doom. I think that Star Trek show, Strange New Worlds, is just starting back in your time. Knowing his fate works out very poorly for Captain Pike, as you'll learn in the coming years. No, Fred, you're better off not knowing. You still have this life to live. Live it well, enjoy what you can, and survive through what sucks. And verify my credentials. Post this episode, and then let's see what happens. I gotta go. Thanks for your time, Fred. Live long and prosper, dude.
0: Fred's Commentary Okay, I've verified the numbers. He was right. Twenty-two plays on five twenty-two twenty-two. I'll upload the screenshot on my website. I'll post it on my Facebook page. So if you're a friend of mine, you can see it there. You can see it on the Fred's Front Porch podcast page if you're not one of my Facebook friends. I'm not entirely convinced this proves anything. He could have hacked Patreon to manipulate the numbers. I'm a big fan of Occam's Razor. The simplest answer is usually the right one. I spent some time with Lester, verifying this as well as I could. I don't know how reliable Lester is as a source. We're just Facebook friends. I've never met him. But for what it's worth, he tells me Rasmussen showed up in a strange metallic vehicle with no visible doors. It was behind the station, in the back. For those of you who don't know, WJAZ sits all alone at the foot of Mount Belzoni. It's surrounded by dirt. Lester says there were no tire tracks anywhere in the dirt other than his own. This Rasmussen guy, Lester says, came in through the back door, and none of the alarms went off, and that was pretty weird. Lester said he was in his headphones playing Dr. Wu and he looked up and this guy Rasmussen was standing there with him. He had spiky hair and that seemed weird because the guy looked to be about 50 and that didn't seem to fit. Ras told Lester that Lester needed to set up a zoom call with me right away Because he had been sent back in time to add just the smallest touch of hope to humanity. Too much would screw up the timeline. My little 50-person audience was exactly the right size. So, that's my story. Believe it, don't. It's all the same to me. But I'm going to spend some time tonight thinking about the future. You might consider doing that too. Is that our future? Can we do anything to change it? Do we want to change it? I don't have the answers. I think we all need to find those for ourselves. Maybe that was Rasmussen's point. The people on the porch think a little bit differently than they did half an hour ago. And maybe. Somehow, it makes some sort of difference. That's why I'm here. I think that's why you're here, too. In any case, I love you. Good night. Fred's Front Porch Podcast. Doing nothing accomplishes nothing. This has to stop. Why couldn't the 19 heavily armed officers who were wearing protective gear go into the room and stop the killings for nearly an hour? They say they were outgunned. I'll be the first to admit that I know nothing about guns. These officers, however, certainly do. They use them, they are trained, and they knew enough to know they were outgunned. How could that have been avoided? Special thanks to Sharon Reddy, the popular science fiction and fantasy writer, and James P. Kemp, the successful Las Vegas attorney. They got me a new mic, a new mic stand, and a preamp to connect it to my little MacBook Air. Thank you, Sharon and James. You folks make a huge difference in this show. The people on the porch make our weekly get-togethers possible. They help to pay for the software, the licenses, and keeping me alive. The greatest gift they give to this show, though, is their attention. Without that, I could never find the motivation to continue. To these people, I am extraordinarily grateful. These are... The People on the Porch. Our producers are Marie Janicky, Hermione Granger, Edith Keeler, and Coralie Day with Scott Knight. Our top patron is Sherlock, the mystery patron. Our other patrons are Sandy Brower, Interstellar Frequency, and Miles O'Brien. Kevin Boyce, and Joe March. Our sponsors are Jake Margarum, Stacey Height, Frau Bluka, Greg Royball, Robert Blomker II, Cindy Mandel, Amos Stewart, Phil Parkman, Judy W. Morris, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluard, Pavel Shabayev, Claude Bert Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, Scott Shelby, Mark Rosma, Natalie, Elizabeth Bennett, and Zaref. Our supporters are Stephanie Hansen, Kim, Deborah Rice, Jamie Sassy. MJ, Roxanne Wolf Michelle Sylvester, Carrie Dedeo, Sarah Nimitz, John G., Christine L. Patterson, Corey, and our first supporter was and is Jereen. Our anchor supporters are Cindy Mandel again, Corey again, A.A. A. Milne, and John Donovan. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. It is in the darkest skies that the stars shine most brightly. All of us will shine together. I love all of you. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for letting me share my thoughts and ideas with you. Get your episodes of Fred's Front Porch early and commercial-free on Patreon. And now, check out our new website at fredsporch.info. There's no punctuation, and yes, it bugs me too. But welcome to the internet. I'll talk to you next week.